Okay, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Motherkind podcast. It is me, your host, Zoe Blasky. I'm so happy you've pushed that little play button. I'm so happy you are here. This is the show that's going to help you navigate the massive challenges of life as a modern mother with more confidence with more self-awareness and hopefully with more joy, happiness and fun. This week's episode is with Dr. Serena Racer. She is the founder of The Postpartum Doctor. She also has a very, very, very long list of qualifications, which I won't read out. But one of them is that she has a doctorate degree in nursing. And of course, in this episode, we talk about postpartum because that is Dr. Serena's specialism. But this episode is really about the pressures we put on ourselves as mothers and how to be much, much kinder to ourselves. So if you're not in that postpartum period, if it feels like a distant memory, I promise you, you will still get something incredibly powerful from this episode. So we talk about the drive to do it all, to be productive and busy, where it comes from and why we find that drive so hard to reconcile once we become mothers. Dr. Serena talks about why so many of us have that, oh my God, what have I done moment with a newborn. And even normalizing that and say it out loud is so important because it's still so taboo, the questioning and the challenges that we go through in that period. Dr. Serena talks about the incredible brain changes that happen and explain why we feel so different as mothers compared to our pre-motherhood selves. We also talk about why being in community is so important for mothers. And we talk a lot about how to be kinder to yourself, how to take that pressure off yourself. I hope you really enjoy this episode. Here it is. Just a quick ask from me before we dive into this week's episode. You might not know this, but we are a really small team behind the scenes at Motherkind, but we have a massive ambition to support millions of mothers to feel more confident, happy and empowered. And even though we've got this incredible back catalogue of over 300 episodes, I really do feel like we are just getting started. And often you lovely listeners will ask me how you can support the podcast and help us reach more mums. So I've thought of a really easy way that you can do that because from today you can subscribe to the podcast if you listen on Apple Podcasts, which over 70% of you do. So for just $3.99 a month, you can support our Motherkind mission and you get all the podcasts ad-free going forward. It's really easy. All you need to do is just go to your Apple Podcasts app, find Motherkind, find the section at the top where it says support the podcast and enjoy ad-free episodes. Click on that. You'll then have a seven-day ad-free trial where you can hear what it feels like to listen to the podcast with no ads whatsoever. And then you move on to pay $3.99 a month. And every single penny of that money will go towards empowering more mothers with this incredible guests, ideas, and tools that we share week after week on the show. Thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. Whether you subscribe or not, I am incredibly grateful that you are here and thank you for being part of the Motherkind mission. Okay, on to this week's episode. Well, Serena, welcome. I'm really excited to chat to you. And I have to start with congratulations because you are currently six and a half months pregnant. How are you feeling? 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm feeling well. This pregnancy has been very, very different than my first. So I'm excited to share a little bit about that. I think besides every pregnancy is different. This is a girl. My first was a boy. I think I'm just a different person, if you will, in this pregnancy than I was with my son. And it really has come through in the symptoms and in what I'm available for and what my yeses are and what my noes are in this pregnancy, if you will. Tell me about how you're different. So when I was 30 years old, I was pregnant with my son. It was my first pregnancy, my first baby. And at that time, I would say if you were to describe 30-year-old Serena, she was somebody who was a force of nature driven by a very productive trauma drive. I had spent my 20s really learning that I can hustle incredibly hard and I can achieve anything I want. It's kind of a really beautiful mentality. I'm an immigrant. And it was this beautiful way of understanding that like everything is possible. And I would grind, hustle, not sleep if it meant like I could achieve my dreams. And that trauma drive fueled my 20s to get to a master's degree, a doctorate degree, live in New York City, et cetera, et cetera. And then when I had my son, I figured... I could just use that mentality in postpartum. I could just work really hard and hustle really hard and I could do it all. My goal, that pregnancy was to be the quote unquote, what I call the do it all mom. And she's really multitasking. And I remember there was this moment that I was in clinic wearing a suit with my breast pump on, typing on the computer. And I was like, look at this, like I'm doing it. I'm doing it all. Over the course of that postpartum, as you can imagine, and we can certainly talk a little bit more about this, but I crashed and burned. I crashed and burned. I went through a rebirth, (laughs) if you will, a renaissance. And I realized that I was no longer available for this and that some things had to change. And not only within myself, but also within the way that I practice medicine, the way that I advocated for clients. And that's when the birth of my business started because I realized medicine and healthcare is really not filling in a huge gap that there is. What I would say about myself now is my mantra, rather than like, I can have everything I want if I just work for it, has more like become, I trust that the things that are divinely meant for me will come without pushing that has meant that in this pregnancy, I have worked a lot less. I've rested a lot more. I've leaned into support. I've asked for help, which are all radical things. (laughs) I'm sure we could talk a little bit more about that each in its own right. My daughter has forced me by her nature to be okay with rest. You talk about that trauma drive in your 20s. And I think I relate to that. And I suspect so many people listening will relate to that. Tell us more about that. And what was driving that? I immigrated to this country when I was three years old. And I left behind my mom in Italy, who was battling a very severe multiple sclerosis. My dad, he worked a tremendous amount, traveled a lot. We had a beautiful childhood. We had love. We had resources. There was always a pain in my heart about my mother not having her and what was happening to her, really not understanding as a child why this happened. Why was my dad traveling so much? Why was my mom sick? And as a child, you know, especially before the ages of seven, we lock in a lot of things in our subconscious mind as truth. 
And so the lens that I was looking at the world is I have to be good enough for my parents to pay attention to me. I think a lot of people can kind of relate to that, right? You know, when you're a child, you absolutely need your parents for survival because they feed you, (laughs) they keep you safe, they give you a home. And so you will do anything to make sure that your parents don't leave you behind. There's an element of that too that parents have for children. The extreme can work on both ends, but into my teenage years and my 20s and my adulthood, I forgot to peel the layers off and realize that I'm worthy just the way I am and not make things wrong with me if I didn't get the A, if I didn't get the promotion, if I didn't get the you know Ivy League school. I was still using those lenses that my seven-year-old self was wearing to look at the world, essentially. I think also just I really want to emphasize, especially in the United States, I think part of that was a product of culture because we live in a culture that says you should do it all. And that is what we're going to reward, right? We don't necessarily live in a culture that says pregnancy, postpartum, breastfeeding, parenthood is so divine in its own right that it is honored and enough. You've got to get back to work. And I think I would love to talk more about that because a lot of my clients come to me with that enormous battle, an enormous struggle of, I don't know who I am anymore. How do I get back to quote unquote, my old self? And what do you say to them when they say, I just want to get back to that old self who was hustling, who was productive, who was busy, who was out in the world. How do you support someone through that? I think you called it renaissance transition, transformation into you're different now. There's two things that I would say to a client that comes to me in that situation, which is one is honor your old self. She carried you here. She kept you safe. She's beautiful. She's always in your soul. Let's honor her. Let's thank her and let's release her because there's really nothing to go back to. I mean, scientifically, your DNA changes when you have a baby, your brain changes, the gray matter in your brain changes, your neural synapses changes, your actual DNA, which is so beautiful, now has DNA from your baby. You are genetically, structurally, emotionally a different person. And there's actually an incredible amount of beauty that I experienced with this And all my clients have experienced with this when you lean into it. The beauty comes from the strength of the new person that you are, the person that you are, the feminine energy. And I use that in the sense of like the creator, the person who can create life is also capable of destroying what no longer serves her. The person who's able to create life is also able to create rest, to create a new environment. But if somebody was very postpartum and saying this to me, like if they were like three or four months postpartum, I think it's really important to know that it does come back. You know, your passions, your drive, your concentration, your stamina, your libido, you know, it feels like it can be lost forever. And part of that is genetically your energy is preserved to think just about the baby for bonding and for survival. So I have a lot of clients that come to me and say, you know, I don't know what I'm passionate about. I have no hobbies. I have no friends. I can't remember what I like doing. And what I would say to that is don't make yourself wrong about that. You know, right now your body's in scarcity and it's not going to be like this forever. Yeah, exactly. It's both, isn't it? This sort of matrescence, this renewal, and it's the core of who you are does come back. I'm fascinated by some of those physical and hormonal changes because I think the more that we talk about those, the less we 
can buy into this bounce back culture. There's nothing more than I hate than that word used around motherhood, which is bounce back. What else has changed? Or can you go into more detail on some of those things that you touched on? So matrescence, let's talk about like the brain first, maybe, and then we can talk about the body. So your neural synapses will change the most after you've had a baby in your entire life, with the exception from when you were zero to one. So when you were zero to one, you had an enormous amount of neural synapses that helped you understand the world. That's the highest you will ever experience. But the second highest is after you've had a baby, specifically for the birthing person, but even birthing partners can go through a bit of a matrescence or even after an adoption or any way your baby divinely comes to you, you can have this process it's a new way of looking at the world. And so what this will sound like is, wow, this thing that used to really, really bother me and used to be like this running dialogue in my head, like it doesn't even bother me anymore. Like I don't have the energy for it anymore. Or it can look like something like, you know, I never used to have anxiety. And now all of a sudden, all I can think about is, is my baby safe? How do I keep my baby safe? How do I protect my baby from this world? It's kind of forcing you to focus more on the baby, if you will. In that sense, though, it also forces you to focus more on the mother, like who you are as the mother, who are you becoming as this new person. And I believe there is so much transformation when you're able to go from like the do it all mom, quote unquote, who had a really powerful brain. I was like multitasking. I could hold a lot of thoughts in my head. I could do 20 things at once. There is a benefit of that that does serve us in some areas, but it really does us a disservice in a lot of areas. For example, concentration, libido, sleep, living in the moment, all of that requires you to really kind of focus in more. And I think matrescence really helps you do that. I really do think that process, it's like a deep meditation ritual, if you will. Do you think that's why so many mothers struggle so much in that, me included, in that postpartum period? Because it can be, particularly here in the UK, you know, we have different maternity care and system and maternity leave typically. It can be such a time of slowing. And what I noticed is that without that rushing, busy, a lot of my validation coming from external places, not from within you don't get any validation, right? You get some validation when you've birthed the baby and then everyone goes away and it's just you and this little thing. That was my experience. Do you think that's why so many women struggle so much in that postpartum experience? I think you worded it really, really perfectly, which is everybody goes away. You know, postpartum was never, ever meant to be on the shoulders of one or two people. People often ask me like, why don't healthcare providers prepare folks better for postpartum. And I always like to say it was never supposed to be in the hands of a medical provider. It was never supposed to be something medicalized. This was something done in communities with your grandmothers, your aunties, your neighbors. There are many places in the world still that you would absolutely never see somebody who just had a baby at the grocery store. It just would never happen in the South of Italy where I'm from. It would absolutely never happen. And that is because there's a cultural and community understanding that this person just had a baby in the first 40 days and more really are life or death, you know, not to sound like dramatic, but she is to stay in bed. She is to rest. She is to slow down. She is to do skin to skin with the baby. The circulation needs to happen through her body so that her uterus can involute, et cetera. 
there's a really beautiful, you know, in a lot of cultures, it's called like the golden months or the honored months, the sacred months. And so I think we're trying to have that experience, but do it all to ourselves. It's kind of like trying to give yourself your own massage. Like you can do it, but it's just not the same when there's others. So what do we do? Because, you know, as I see it, that care that you described where you're from, you know, isn't coming back anytime soon in the UK as in that setup is just not available. What can we do as mothers? And I don't think it's just postpartum, actually. I think it's that whole motherhood journey and fatherhood journey. What can we do? This is a really beautiful question. And we could probably have a whole pie. I mean, I've created a whole 12 week mentorship program just for this answer. And it starts with really getting clear on what is important to you. What do you value? And then once that's really clear and in working with clients, I have learned that sometimes the answer isn't what it seems to be. Like, for example, I value money. I want financial wealth. When you peel back those layers, you realize like, actually, I want freedom. I want the freedom to just enjoy a cup of coffee in the morning or have lunch outside. And I think money can get me that. So once you get to the core of what is really important, what your soul wants to experience in this lifetime, that's part one. Then part two is how do we let go and release the rest? Release the rest to a point that it does not seem like, oh man, I don't get to have that or I failed because I don't have that. It's I'm co-creating with this. This is what I'm co-creating. All of this can be a happy byproduct when I'm in my zone of what makes my soul happy. And so that can look in so many ways, but did that answer kind of make sense? Go a little deeper because I think for people listening, they might not be able to tap into, you know, what what my soul wants. They might just think, I feel like I am drowning here. So let me give you like a little bit more of a tangible example. So in this postpartum that I am planning to have with my daughter, I will definitely try to have as much of my community in place, if you will, maybe do a little meal train. This is a trend that I really like that's starting where your friends and your community sign up to deliver food, which is really beautiful because there's food in postpartum really nourishes the person back to life, especially warm, cooked, easy to digest meals. But the biggest thing that I am preparing for so that I do not feel overwhelmed is outsourcing of what I can in terms of like laundry, housework, garden work, childcare for my three-year-old son. But what I can't outsource, like for example, I even tried the service that picks up your laundry and brings it back to you. And, you know, but I was like, yeah, this is a little silly, but you know, if I don't outsource that, what I'm going to do, this is a silly example, but I just want to get really tangible here. I will not let this laundry mean that I failed because it wasn't done or it needs to be perfect. I will be able to just say, you know what, however the laundry gets done, if it gets done, if it's folded, if it's inside out or backwards, it's okay. Because what I actually really value right now is time with my daughter. And if I got to do that, if I got to do skin to skin with my daughter and breastfeed her and bond with her, I am productive. I can check that thing off. And when my brain starts to say, well, you didn't do enough in the laundry, I'm going to say, no, 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 no. I did the thing that I really value most. And that is what having it all means. Having it all doesn't necessarily mean having all of it all the time. It means I got the freedom to choose to have what it is that I wanted and the strength to know that everything else can wait. Yeah, it's a really good example. And I think it is so important to sometimes take it down to those day-to-day things. And I wonder if you see this. I see this quite a lot where 
older mothers, right? They might be out of that first year, second year even, and they, and they want to be more present with their children, but they also really want to have a tidy house. They also really want to have a social life. They also might need to work. I think just that entire example that you gave of letting go of what that laundry means, it sounds so small, but actually in my experience, it's really big. What comes up for you if you think about, you know, letting your tidy house suddenly get really messy because having it all to you in that moment is being present with your four-year-old, for example. What comes up for mothers that you work with? I'm so glad that you also experienced this or have heard this because this is something that I hear all the time. And I'm like this as well, but I hear it all the time. So I've come to conclude, and I'm sure there's research. I don't know about it, but I'm sure we could find it that the state of your home is correlated to the state of your mind. And so to say, like, just let your house not be tidy and be okay with it can be extremely difficult. So what I would actually say is, and this is an activity I do with my clients, is to go around your home. You know, the average American, I don't know what (laughs) what it's like in the UK, but I just learned the statistic this year and it was so daunting. But the average American has 300,000 items in their home. Every item that we have requires our energy. We co-create with just these things back here. I have to dust them. I have to adjust them because I know like my cameras, you know, and these are just three things back here, right? Everything in my home, everything I bring in my home requires energy from me. So the first step is conscious consumption. And I think we as a culture, the pendulum is a bit swinging to let us just purchase the things that are quality and bring us joy rather than the abundance of like, let's go on these shopping sprees, which was kind of the way of the last decade, if you will. I don't know if you feel that way, but I feel like we're not honoring abundance as much as we used to. So I think that can be really helpful in preventing the mess, right? And like, let's have less in our homes. Let's co-create with only the things we love. So this goes back to like honoring your yes, please. And your no, thank you. If there's something in your home that you just, it's bothering you, like you can let it go and release it. Or, you know, something as simple as like, the blanket on your sofa. Like if it feels like a really like cozy blanket and it feels like a yes, like that will co-create a more relaxed afternoon and evening for you. Right. So this is a fun example, a fun activity for anyone who's listening to just go around your house and like, look at the items and just what sparks joy, what's a yes and what's a no, and then, and release it because that in itself will clear that like mental load of like, Oh my gosh, there's so much here to take care of. The other piece of this is if having a tidy home is really important to you, which it is for me and many people, what are the ways that you can ask for help? And this is incredibly, incredibly difficult because a lot of my clients say, well, it's just faster if I do it and let me just do it. I do it better anyway. It's a radical self-love to be able to ask for help because you are saying, I value support especially if you put money to it. Like I value with a monetary value, the support for me. And I feel that that's such a beautiful sign that you're giving to the universe because the universe always says yes to whatever you're doing. So if you are spending your time cooking and cleaning and cleaning and cooking and cleaning and more and laundry, you're really becoming a great cleaner or cooker. Like we perfect what we spend our time doing. If we spend our time resting and bonding with our children and being in nature and things like that, the universe will give you more opportunities for that. So first I would say conscious consumption, asking for help. And then one of the things that in terms of spending time with kids, I would say that what has been really helpful, and this is no matter how old your kids are, you know, research actually says kids really only need 15 minutes of your undivided attention. 
this means like no phone, no computer, no TV, like really look at them so much, like not even like thinking about what do I have to cook tonight? What do I have to call Sandy back? You know, 15 minutes of undivided attention will fill their cup for the day. And so if you can do that, I feel like that is so much easier to do than trying to spend time with your kids, like while you're cooking or let's clean together, let's exercise together. That becomes very challenging. Thanks to this week's sponsor, AG1, the daily foundational nutritional supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it literally every day. I gave AG1 a try a couple of years ago because I wanted more energy and I was worried that I wasn't getting all the nutrients that I needed from food. And I drink AG1 in the morning, just as I'm making the girls breakfast, I mix it up. Every time I drink it, I'm showing myself through my actions that I am worth taking care of. I deserve to look after my body, especially as it gave me my two incredible little girls. So AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic and more in one simple drinkable habit. So for all us mums out there, we know how busy we are. So if you're looking for self-care that's quick and easy, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash motherkind. That's drinkag1.com slash motherkind to check it out. We've actually done a whole episode on that. So I'll link to that episode. Yeah, yeah. We had one of the leaders who took that study and wrote a whole book about how to access that 15 minutes. It's really, really good. I'll link to that as well. We've dived into this skill and it is a skill of learning to ask for help and receive help. What are some of the other skills that you see mothers need in order to feel more of how they want to feel, but we struggle with? Like boundaries would be one that I would see. What else do you see? There's a lot that's coming in my mind, but I think the first and probably most important one, and it's funny to name this a skill, but it really truly, it is, it's self-love and self-compassion. That is one of the hardest things that my clients go through, but it's such a beautiful, beautiful journey. And actually when my clients finish my mentorship, I always ask them like, you know, there's a lot of like strategic stuff. There's a lot of like strategic learning. There's exercise, there's all of this. But when I ask them in the like little feedback group, like what was the biggest thing you took away from these 12 weeks? The most common answer is I learned the ability to love myself and make myself right, which is something that I had never experienced before. And I was always really critical of myself and I was always really judgmental of myself and nothing was ever enough. You taught me the strategies to just be okay and not make myself wrong. And when that happened, I became a place of peace and home. I guess this goes back to the beginning of the episode when we talked about trauma drive. I think that's something that we do have to learn, right? We do have to learn. That's been my experience too. And it absolutely is a skill. And what I find so exciting is that we can learn it at any age. We learn to be hard on ourselves and to criticize ourselves and to push ourselves and to put ourselves under pressure and judgment. We can learn all the opposite as well. Just having access to those teachers and having the courage to change it because it does take courage. And what I've also learned and know to be true is you can't create abundance from a place of not being enough. If all that you're thinking is I'm not enough, I didn't do enough, I need to do more that's that push energy. However you want to define the word abundance, 
whatever it is that, again, going back to what your soul wants to experience, you will never experience that from a place of lack. When you can emotionally connect to what do I do have? What is right in my life? Who am I? And what is the safety that I have around me? That's when you can kind of look at the world with, I'm so excited to see the opportunities of abundance that come in. It's hard to notice those little moments even when you are sat with your child and you're thinking, oh, the house is a mess and I haven't replied to that message and I'm late for that and my boss needs this from me. It's hard to notice that little hand on yours. You don't notice it. I don't notice it when I'm stuck in that constant, critical, internal dialogue. Absolutely. And universe doesn't know to send you more abundance if you have it and you're not noticing it. It's like going to a restaurant and you have a plate full of food and you're asking the server, can I get more food? They would look at you and say, but, but you have it, right? That's different than saying like, this is so delicious and I'm really enjoying this. I'm also open to trying some more. Can I have more? You know, you know what I'm saying? So it's a silly metaphor to say like, the more you can emotionally connect to, I do have this and I do have that, the more you really create from a place of having exactly like you said. What you focus on grows, isn't it? And this is not about spiritual bypassing. I think it's really important to also feel the very real inequities that are very real for mothers. I think we have a complete right to feel angry about how society views us, how the system is set up. And it's not that, it's that we also get into the practice, as I understand what you're saying, of noticing what we do have as well. Yeah, I love that you emphasize that. Yeah, absolutely. I believe that wholeheartedly we have to feel all of our feelings what we resist persists. So if we are feeling depleted and overwhelmed, we don't want to resist it and say, oh, but you know, I'm so grateful that I have my health. That's beautiful. That's real. But there's so many lessons and it doesn't need to be a painful, long process. It can actually be a rapid release process. But if you can look at what is making me feel so overwhelmed, what is making me feel so depleted, that's where the shifts happen. And that's really, really important. I, I talk about that all the time. Like, Don't gaslight yourself. If you are feeling something, the mindset industry so often tells us, like, just think positively, not realizing that all of our thoughts come from our environment. So it's so much easier to think positively when we're on vacation on the beach, right? But when a toddler's screaming and not sleeping, and it's hard. It's hard to emerge the thoughts from that environment. So it's kind of feeling the depletion and understanding, like, what is this here? What is the root here? And what would someone do next? So you said that tool of getting into it, like, why am I feeling so depleted? What can I do? What is within my control? Yes, I can't afford more childcare. Yes, I can't afford a cleaner or I can't afford to, you know, whatever it might be that they could see would be a quick win. Do you think there's always changes that we can make? Oh, yes, absolutely. Again, going back to the most important one, which is self-love and self-forgiveness, number one. I'll talk about a few more tangible things, but in that moment, if you have that, it really helps in the moment when your toddler is screaming and your house is a mess and you're not sleeping. Try not to spiral down that I failed and this day is awful and I'm a bad mom, et cetera, et cetera. If you can hold that thought and kind of shift it to, I'm doing the best that I can with what I have. I'm the perfect mom for who my baby is. My baby wouldn't want anybody other than me. We are meeting the moment together. We are growing together. And this is not permanent. The other thing I would say that can be really helpful for depletion is two things. One, being in community with people who are going through similar things. So if you have somebody who has a child around the same age, 
You do not need to necessarily go to like a postpartum support group, but even just having somebody in your life, one or two people, a group, the right group, right? Because sometimes, you know, sometimes like Facebook groups can get a little bit like, I have seen some kind of not so friendly and judgmental things on Facebook groups. So the right groups, you could literally be talking about the weather and that in itself is healing because you're with people who are going through the same traumatic thing that you are. There's a lot of evidence. There's, I did my doctorate research on trauma healing, and there was so much research that said that essentially trauma always happens in relationship. So you must heal it in relationship. You cannot heal it by yourself. You cannot lift this off yourself. There's so many examples of, you know, veterans or survivors of trauma or survivors of the Holocaust when they created communities and grouped together, even if they were just playing cards in the evening together, there was a certain kind of healing. There was a certain kind of community understanding of what's going on that you were allowed to just be and not self-compromise in their presence. So having a group or community is incredibly, incredibly important in this time. And then the other really important thing is, I'm sure you have talked about this on your podcast before, and there's probably experts that could speak to this more than me, but really the importance of somatic work, meaning like moving your body. Energy can get stuck in our body. The more we sit in our homes, the more we sit behind offices or desks or computers, TVs, that energy gets stuck and that rage can really come up. Sometimes with my clients, we start with goals like 15 minutes a day. I would love for it to be more, but 15 minutes a day where you are by yourself, either on a power walk or dancing, like whatever you like to do to just like move this energy out. It really, truly helps a lot when you feel that rage and that anger, if you have a movement practice in your life. I think it's so important. And actually, you know, if you are with young kids at home, you know, to get out with them, kids love being out. I don't think that has to be those 15 minutes you find necessarily on your own if that's just not an option. I think you can do that release work, can't you, with your kids as well. You touched on self-forgiveness and something that I wanted to ask you about is, you know, your postpartum specialist and you help people think about that postpartum period. But so many mothers that I know feel sadness and some guilt and some regret about how that postpartum period was for them. Maybe they suffered from intrusive thoughts, which we know is incredibly common, but they didn't know that. So they just beat themselves up about it. Maybe they weren't as connected with their baby as they wanted to. Maybe they didn't have the birth they wanted to. Maybe they didn't set themselves up with the support and they found themselves making tea and cake for endless visitors in the days after. And I speak to a lot of women who feel really angry at themselves about that and wishing that they did it differently, but perhaps don't get the chance of a do-over. How does someone find peace and forgiveness with that so they can move forward? That's a really beautiful question. I'd like to answer that question and then also maybe talk a little bit about like some preventative measures so less folks feel that way after they have a baby. The first thing I feel like I want to say is I really want to normalize this. I think part of feeling guilty and angry is because we have this belief that this is just happening to me and everybody else is having these beautiful postpartums and really attaching and bonding to their kids and something must be wrong to me, right? There's a big part of culture and social media that really (laughs) fuels this fire that you are the only one who's getting this wrong. What's wrong with you? You know, everyone else has like this maternal instinct and knows what they're doing. None of us knew what we were doing postpartum, none of us. And most of us had disassociation or disattachment from our newborn baby because it is such an incredibly radical change. I mean, I remember bringing my son home and I 
wanted my son. I prayed for my son. I loved my pregnancy, loved my husband. Day one of bringing him home, I remember thinking, what did I do? I ruined my life. And it was because my husband had to sleep in the other room because we were doing shift work. And I was just so sad. This baby is causing me to have to sleep alone. You know, it's just such a silly thought, like three years postpartum, but in the moment it felt really, really real. So I just want to incredibly, incredibly normalize that a lot of us, most of us, maybe all of us to an element feel this way because we are mourning the death of what used to be. So what I would say for that woman, if she was sitting right in front of me and saying like, how do I forgive myself or release this anger? I'm never going to be able to have the chance to do this again with this baby. What I would say to her is you have your whole lifetime to teach your daughter or your son, the mother that you are. And the mother that you are, for me, I think there's nothing more than I want for my kids to know. Like my mom, she knew joy. She knew love. She knew happiness. Your kids don't care about if the house is clean. They really don't care about what you do for a living. They have no idea what's in your bank account. I want my kids to know, like, my mom was the highest version of herself. So many of us actually mourn the fact that we never got to see that version of our mothers in some capacity. And so whatever age your child is, there's still the opportunity to be the highest version of yourself for them so that they know, like, I got to meet mom at her highest potential, who she could be. And that's my drive and my stamina every day. I don't get it right every day, all day. I certainly don't. But I have a very clear direction of where I want to go for my children so that they know mom made a real difference in this world in the way that she could, in the capacity that she could. She was able to know joy. She was able to know love. And we got to experience that through her. And so there's always that opportunity. I think we often think that like, We have to self-sacrifice for our kids, but we really do such a disservice because again, our kids want the highest version of ourselves. So it's never self-sacrifice if you know you're stepping into that. Tell us a little bit more about that self-sacrifice because I feel like we've lived for a long time now, actually, probably a couple of hundred years with this intensive mothering phase and the idea that a good mother is a martyr mother. And I feel like there's a few of us starting to change that, but it's still definitely the common parlance that a good mother is selfless. She is completely giving to others. She does not give to herself. It's selfish to give back to yourself. Tell me your experience on that, on your thoughts on it. Yeah, I will absolutely. And Zoe, if you don't mind, I just want to finish that last question and say one thing to do to prevent that anger and that regret and that upsetness in postpartum that things didn't go the way that I wanted to. If you are pregnant or thinking about having a baby and listening to this, what I would say is the trauma that happens in the labor room and in postpartum is not just the acute trauma of that day. It's the trauma of your life. The more you can work on releasing trauma the more you can work on going from that do-it-all mom to like that mom of ease, even before the labor room, you can definitely, you know, reach out. I have some free resources, a free masterclass on this as well, but we inherit a lot of that, even from our generational trauma. Like that's what we're breaking to postpartum. So it's not just, oh, I didn't meet the moment. It's my whole life and my lineage and things that I've inherited came into the labor and delivery room. This is what I say when like, I'm a different person in this pregnancy than my first, because I can't operate on this trauma drive anymore. You know what I'm saying? And so um, 
I'll be excited to tell you though how my postpartum and, and, and my labor and delivery go, but I can already feel the incredible difference because of the trauma release work that I have done before my daughter was born. So going back to your really great question about self-sacrificing, I see this all the time, all the time, all the time with my clients. And it comes down to this. When you are away from your child doing something that you're misaligned with, it really is hard. When you leave your child for a job that you do not like, when you are cleaning and cooking and you really don't want to, you really want to be spending time with your child, that stuff in your mind equals, I have to do these things that are not a priority in my life. And I'm upset because it's taking time away from my child. Very, very valid, right? But unfortunately, what can happen sometimes is that the brain will say, well, I'm not going to exercise or I'm not going to go on a date with my partner or I'm not going to do things that I love and take an afternoon off because the brain equates these things as the same as the misaligned things. It all equates them with the same thing. I am away from my baby. Therefore, I will feel upset that I didn't choose my baby or my child before my stuff. The important thing to understand, my friends, is your stuff If it's misaligned, it will always feel like guilt and upset to be away from your baby. But if it's aligned, it will never feel that way. It will never feel that way because when you go, for example, I don't know if you feel this way about your podcast, but this is how I feel about my business. Like when I'm serving my clients and I know this is what I love to do, this is my soul calling. I love being on this podcast and talking about this. When this podcast is over and I press end, I'll go downstairs and be a better mom to my son than I would have if I didn't do this podcast this morning. And I really truly mean that because when your soul is doing something that you love and it reminds you who you are and it's lighting you on fire, like it's healing in itself. When you exercise, that's therapy. When you have sex, that's therapy. When you go out and remember who you are, that's therapy, right? So all of that actually brings you back to a better mother for your child. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's beautiful. I, and I do feel that way about this podcast. You're, you're <laughs> about that. So I always ask the same question at the end, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? I would give them the ability to always remember who they are. Not the mom, not the partner, not the community member, not the daughter, like, but the woman that they are. In the moments where you have worn the mom hat for 12 hours a day and you've taken care, I would love for everybody to have the ability to take that hat off and remember who is the woman, who is Serena, who is she? Because she is the person that's going to build your dreams. She is the person who has the courage to rebirth. That's what's coming forth for me. Everybody's absolutely able to cultivate her. It's just remembering again This actually goes back to the last thing I said, you know, mom is not the person who shows up in the bedroom. Mom is not the person who goes exercise with her friends. Mom's not the person having a cocktail on the city and heels, right? So it's the woman, it's you, right? Who is she? Don't lose sight of her. Don't lose track of her. Don't lose love for her. It would be the gift that I would want to give everyone. Beautiful. And where can someone find out more? You mentioned you had some free resources. Where does someone find those? I mainly live on Instagram at the postpartum doctor. There's a link there for a free masterclass. I really try to pour everything I can in this masterclass. I also have some free PDFs. That's a really great place to start, but come into my DMs. I'm always open to chat with anybody through the DMs as well. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much. I really love this conversation and it's really nice to connect and best of luck with that. I'll be following along on social. 
Thank you so very much for having me. Well, that was the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Dr. Serena talked about that practice and that study of being just present for 15 minutes with our children. And we've actually done a whole episode on that with Joanna Fortune, who's a psychotherapist who took that research Serena mentions and made it completely practical. And it is all in the episode that I did with Joanna Fortune. What to do in that 15 minutes, how to do it and how to get the most out of that time. So that is all that your children need to feel completely connected to you. So just search Joanna Fortune Motherkind in Google or wherever you get your podcasts and I will see you next time.